there's actually a nice little shift in, uh, in the way the service goes. So we've been talking to the Lord, singing. Hopefully he's been enjoying. We've been enjoying his presence. And there's a subtle switch. He starts talking to us. That's also a blessing. And uh, there's an, a prayer called the Collect, which is uh, from the Latin Collector. They thought long and hard about this one. It was uh, collecting the thoughts for the season or for that day. And uh, the season of Epiphany is, is the revelation, the manifestation of the light of God to the world. And so our, the, the prayer for the day really reflects, reflects the light to the world. So let's pray. Almighty God, whose Son, our Savior, is the light of the world, grant that your people, enlightened by your word and sacraments, may shine with the radiance of his glory, that he may be worshipped and obeyed to the ends of the earth. Through Jesus, the Anointed One, who is with you and the Holy Spirit, lives and reigns one God, now and forever. Amen. So let's open our ears and our hearts to hear what God has to say to us this morning. Good morning. Um, our first reading today from uh, Prophet Isaiah, chapter 9, verse 1 to 4. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people working in darkness have seen a great light. On those who living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice, in, rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of the Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them. The bar crossed their shoulders, the Lord of their oppressor. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Psalm 27, verse 1, and then verses 4 to 9. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord, all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his sacred tent, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy I will sing and make music to the Lord. Hear my voice when I call, Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me. God, my Saviour, the Lord be blessed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our gospel portion is from the gospel according to Matthew, chapter 4. And it's a tradition that we stand on 
know I told you all to sit down, but tradition when to stand, particularly when our king is speaking. Brothers and sisters, the good news according to Matthew. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulon and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. Land of Zebulon and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people living in darkness, they have seen a great light. And on those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and they followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. And they were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father, and they followed him. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness from among the people. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. So, Father in heaven, we are your children, and we do come and submit ourselves before you, and we ask that uh, just as you came to teach Moses, that you would send your spirit, the spirit of Jesus, to teach us. We pray that our hearts will be open to be encouraged, to be filled with hope, Lord, to be convicted and empowered to change so that, uh, again, we may live lives of holiness and lives that please you and bring glory to you. We do ask this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Just going to... Um, look at the gospel passage, and uh, the gospel passage, the Matthew passage is the, um, I think, quite important and even essential for most of the year. So we will be in Matthew's gospel, with the exception Lent and uh, Easter. Uh, most of our readings this year will be from the first gospel that we have uh, in the New Testament. And I'd like to just focus for just a minute on the um, geography of um, our reading. And uh, very often we don't think very much of biblical geography, yet at the same time, 
there's often a theology in the geography. And uh, it's worth us uh, noting, and it's worth us uh, paying attention to this. In our passage, Matthew is going to quote from Isaiah, and uh, no doubt his purpose is to explain why the ministry of Jesus, right, the, the Son of God, the um, uh, descendant of King David, why is all of this starting or beginning uh, in a very rural and seemingly insignificant place? I mean, after all, if you're going to launch a messianic movement, surely you want to do it in Rome or Jerusalem or perhaps even, okay, third best, Caesarea, which Jewish people at the time called Little Rome. But the ba some backwater, you know, uh, in Galilee, <clears throat> and many, of course, many people at the time looked, uh, looked down their noses at Galileans or the area of, uh, or the region of Galilee itself. Why on earth is messianic redemption starting there? And um, I think the, uh, the passage, of course, that Matthew quotes in a modified way takes us back to, uh, to Isaiah itself. And the passage in Isaiah <clears throat> reads slightly differently than what we have in Matthew, but it reads as follows. The people walking in darkness, um, I should back up one. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by way of the sea along the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation, increased their joy. They rejoice before you. So the context, and some of you may be quite familiar with this, context is that Isaiah is writing to a people, the Israelite people, later to be called Jews, who have suffered uh, a great disaster. And that is Assyria, in the year by the year 721, has gobbled up the northern kingdom of Israel, and it has exiled most, perhaps not all, of its inhabitants. So those um, Israelites have gone into exile, which can be equated really with <clears throat> death. And God's great promises, right, given to David, yes, even extending back all the way, extending back to Abraham, all of what God has promised uh, has seemed, seems now to be uh, hope, hopeless or somehow never going to come to pass. Yes, a good portion of the nation is, 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 has disappeared. The land has come under Syrian control. Exile, which means death, because those who, uh, from the northern kingdom who did go into exile eventually disappear. There's all kinds of nice fancy theories to say that uh, they uh, are um, somehow related to the modern day Kurdish people 
um, be that as it may, uh, the, the situation after, the, after, Israel, after the, the kingdom, sorry, the northern kingdom went into exile, the situation was, looks hopeless. And there is great despair and there's great doom. And you might say that things start, things unravel, yes, with the, uh, un they unravel with the split of the kingdom, but they unravel in an irreparable way, seemingly irreparable way, when the Assyrians come. And by the way, it is quite an interest, it is very interesting and even ironic for us to note the following. With the split, yes, after the death of Solomon, you, you as we all know, there are two kingdoms. There was the kingdom of Israel. There was the kingdom of Judah. Judah and Israel were quite different. Israel was the country, you know, on the go. It was a country that had a phenomenal military, despite its small size because at an earlier period it helped defeat the Assyrians. It was a country that was noted all over the region for its uh, ability, yes, to um, use water, conserve water, channel water, um, uh, build reservoirs, cisterns, cisterns, aqueducts. It was a country on a major international trade route. It had everything going for it. Right? It had technology, it had military prowess, uh, it was on the major lines of communication. And then there's Judah. Judah is poor. Judah is somewhat, uh, Judea, uh, or Judea, sorry. It's isolated. It um, has a uh, virtually no economy. It is on no major trade routes or lines of communication. It relies uh, solely on agriculture. It um, was a vassal of Assyria and later a vassal of Babylon. And at the end of the day, which country survives? It's actually the hillbillies, yeah? It's actually those that we would consider to be poor and backwards and uh, perhaps not very modern or very up-to-date, right? And ironically, it's the kingdom of Judah that survives. The kingdom of Israel falls under God's judgment. The kingdom of Israel goes into exile. And perhaps one reason, and I won't suggest this is the only one, one of the reasons, right, where that the... Or, the ministry of Jesus actually starts in the north, or what I think the gospel writer wants to help us to connect with, is that the very place, right, the tribes of Naphtali, the tribes of Zebulun, Naphtali is the, in the area of Upper Galilee today, Zebulun is, uh, the tribal district of Zebulun was around uh, Lower Galilee, around what is today Nazareth, yes, all of this, right, all of what falls apart, all of what, is, what becomes seemingly lost forever, right? Where does the restoration begin, right? Because in the passage, uh, had we read further, 
that uh, there is a king or a figure from the house of David who's going to come and bring about this restoration, the restoration of Israel. Not only the restoration of Israel, but you already have the hint of the restoration of the nations, right? That redemption is going to come in the place, right, where disaster started, where, gl where uh, gloom and death and darkness uh, and maybe perpetual disappointment began. And so in the area of, uh, uh, in the, in the area of Galilee, uh, in the north, you have the ministry, the ministry of Jesus. Um, the ministry of Jesus begins. And it's quite, um, significant, yes, that it's a descendant of David, King Jesus, that is going to bring about, again, the restoration of the kingdom. Now, I think the second thing that perhaps helps us or, or might help us to see a bigger picture is that the geography points to, um, helps us to perhaps better understand the gospel itself, right? Because when we talk about the gospel, we often uh, reduce the gospel to the plan of salvation. How do I get saved? God loves me, I'm a sinner, I'm going to somehow, uh, I somehow need to have my sin forgiven so that I can go to heaven. If you ask people, most evangelicals or Protestants, what is the gospel? It is, uh, in the words of Dallas Willard, sin management. How can I manage my sin and get to heaven? Now, I would suggest, uh, as many people have, some people have done recently, that's not the gospel. Now, that may sound shocking, and I hope it is shocking. Yes, the gospel right, or this good news leads to salvation. But the plan of salvation, whether it's in this, whether you consider it to be sacramentally through baptism or, or through accepting Jesus into your heart, whatever it may be, is not the gospel itself. The gospel, or this good news, yes, is, is summed up very nicely as following. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, and I'm reading from Romans chapter 1, called to be apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. Okay? The gospel or the, the, or the, the good news, you might say, the announce, this announcement that he promised beforehand through his prophets and the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who as in his human nature was a descendant of David, and who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the son of God by his resurrection, uh, resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ our Lord, through him and for his name's sake we receive grace and apostleship to call people from among all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes, that comes through faith, right? The gospel, yes, it, um, the gospel is always, first and foremost, you might say, a completion of the story of Israel. 
And I don't say, I don't use the word completion in the sense that uh, I'm uh, advocating replacement theology. That God isn't finished with the Jewish people. That his purposes haven't uh, ceased for them. But you might say that, there, that the story of Israel comes to fruition, yes, in, uh, in the message and the person of Jesus Christ. And basically what the, the gospel, what the good news of the gospel is all about, right, is that Jesus is king. And that King Jesus is now on the scene and he's calling us, whether Jews or Gentiles, to abandon all other allegiances. Yes, to abandon all other allegiances. That's why the gospel is always connected with repentance. Yes, the famous uh, lines in Mark's gospel. Yes, after, after Jesus is baptized by John, yeah, his, message is, uh, his message in Mark is very simple. It uh, parallels what we read this, uh, in, Luke, in, in Luke 4, and the, it's simply repent, yes, and the kingdom of heaven is near. Repent and believe the gospel, yes? Repent and believe the gospel. Paul also in Romans, uh, in Romans chapter 1 tells us that I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation, right? Meaning the gospel leads to salvation, but salvation isn't the gospel. And the geography that we just read about, uh, hopefully in a concrete physical way, reminds us that the story we're dealing with is the story of God's dealings with Israel and the Jewish people. And somehow they can't, they can't be separated from that. Uh, I'm not suggesting that maybe if you're talking to someone on the street and you want to share good news, you have to go into the story of Ahaz or Ahab or Jeremiah, etc., etc. But ultimately, as disciples, we need to understand and appreciate that bigger context. And last week, or maybe two weeks ago, we quoted a famous or well-known uh, theologian. And that particular theologian, the name of Yaroslav Pelikan, he said... He reminded us that, yes, Jesus is the universal savior, yes, of all of the human family, not despite his Jewishness, but because of his Jewishness, right? The gospel is that God, yes, sends Jesus, and Jesus uh, comes to rule and reign in the lives of Israel and in the lives of, and in the, lives of the nations. And by the way, it is quite, it is also, there's something quite fascinating here, is that um, our text in Isaiah and in Matthew mentions Gentiles. And it's quite not so easy to figure out what the connection is. Is it that Galilee is surrounded by Gentiles? Possibly. Is it that Gentiles move in, moved into the area that uh, was depopulated? Uh, of the Israelites. But when Jesus gives a great commission and he wants to send his disciples out into the nations, he does it from Galilee, right? He, the disciples go back to Galilee and there they receive the commission not only to go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, but to go into, but they, to go into all the world. 
And so here we have this Jesus uh, uh, entering, beginning his ministry for us, and he is, um, according to verse 23, where we stopped, it says, Jesus went through Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, right? When we talk about the good news, it's not just good news, but it's good news of the, that uh, God has now arrived on the scene through his son, Jesus, and is taking control and wants to rule and reign in, in, in the lives, in our lives and the lives of our communities in a way that he hasn't done before. And not only is he proclaiming, he's healing, as it says, uh, he's healing every disease. He's healing every disease. And as we go through gospel, Matthew's gospel, the overwhelming emphasis, uh, the over, an overwhelming emphasis will be on Jesus the healer, right? Jesus the one who restores. Jesus, the one who brings not just physical healing, right, but Jesus who brings wholeness, or Jesus who brings, um, who you might say, repairs brokenness, right? And that the, uh, we, what we should uh, consider, yes, is the, the healing a number of times that Jesus in Matthew's gospel, when Jesus heals those who are blind, right? There are people sitting in darkness. Yes, a great light has shined, right? In Psalm 27, right, the Lord himself is the light, right? Wherever the Lord is, there's the light. And that light dispels darkness, right? Jesus comes onto the scene. He's also the light. That light dispels darkness, right? Uh, and that light uh, eventually overwhelms or conquers, conquers death. And so we, I think the challenge for all of us, yes, is as follows. Um, do we want to be healed? Or do we want to continue, not as individuals or families or communities, to sit in darkness, to sit in death, to be overwhelmed by gloom, to be overwhelmed by despair, right? To um, be traumatized or confused, yes, or to live in our disappointment? Or do we want, right? to bring the light of Jesus, right? Or do we want to bring healing to our blindness or light into our darkness and life into, right, the despair, yes, or confusion uh, or hopelessness that uh, many of us not only have personally, but it's also reflected in the culture. And so how does that happen? How is there light, that, how does light come into darkness? How does life come into death? And I think it's not so difficult because here Jesus says, from this time forward, and I'm reading in 417, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. 
Repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. That, that healing, yes, and, and here I want to be a little bit careful because I, I am a firm believer in physical healing, but not everyone gets, gets healed physically. Some people do, some people don't. And very oftentimes we as a church, we've either focused on physical healing and we have forgotten that emotional and spiritual healing is much more important. Yes, or we focused on Jesus dying for our sins and me going to heaven. Yes, when there's uh, something much more being on offer here for us. Yes, it's not just life after death, but it's also life before death. And we cannot, yes, we, we cannot um, live uh, in brokenness or unwholeness and sort of relish in it and tell everyone how broken we are. Yes. Um, and, uh, and really be a, a follower or a disciple of Jesus. Because ultimately Jesus comes to, not just to save our souls, but he comes to transform us. Actually he comes, we, you can call it holiness, or you can call it wholeness, or we can talk about it as transformation. But the transformation and the healing, yes, always begins, right, begins with repentance, right? In repentance, there is healing. Because basically in repentance, we're saying, I surrender my authority. I surrender my autonomy. The kingdom of heaven is that God is beginning to rule and reign. And he begins to rule and reign in the lives of people who give him the space to rule and reign. Right. And that, again, whether it's personal or communal or national, it always begins, it always begins with repentance. And as we've said more than once, repentance isn't a one-time deal, it's a lifestyle. It's found all the way through found through the Gospels, the book of Acts, up to even the book of Revelation, when Jesus, yes, speaks to five of seven churches who are Christians, and he tells them to repent. He tells them to repent. So repentance is a lifestyle, but so too is the centrality of the kingdom of heaven, right? And that, that kingdom, right, that kingship, um, is, uh, the, is the central message of Jesus. And how it relates to his death and resurrection we'll, we will discuss later on during the year. But with the kingdom of heaven being central, yes, and hopefully we have a thirst or a hunger. And again, call it what you wish. Call it maturity. Call it transformation. Call it healing. Call it holiness. They're all related and they all overlap. Conformity to the image of Jesus himself. Yes, all of this begins with repentance. Yes, and the process of maturity and transformation, yes, begins when we, as Jesus meets the brothers on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, right? We come and follow him, right? 
We make a conscious effort to model our lives after Jesus, to share, yes, in his life, to imitate him, and in the process, yes, we come, you might say, we come into the light and we leave, yes, uh, the gloom and the death, yes, the death of, and again, it may be the death of our culture, it may be something that we impose upon ourselves, the disease of self-hatred, or, or the, the pride that we may have, right? Whatever it may be, sin leads to death. So the invitation, yes, to be healed. And again, notice what Jesus, is, Jesus, what Jesus does. He proclaims the gospel, yes. He teaches. And he heals. And the emphasis, the connection between teaching and healing is quite simple. We put his teaching into practice. Yes. We obey him. Yes. And we come into this place of wholeness. We come into the place of transformation. So that when we stand before God, yes, on judgment day, yes, we have, we, we're not ashamed and say, well, I did accept Jesus when I was five. But yeah, I struggled all my life with an addiction or I struggled all my life with a temper or I struggled all my life with being greedy or selfish or whatever it may be. Or I couldn't control my appetites, right? Who wants to die a broken, miserable person? So the invitation... Yes, the invitation is an invitation to wholeness or completeness. It's an invitation to shalom, right? To living in the way that God designed for us to live. And of course, we don't reach perfection, but we're on the road to maturity. We're on the road to wholeness, right? It becomes Yes, a byproduct, yeah, you might say, or a fruit of our, of our listening to the teaching of Jesus and putting those teachings into practice. That's the invitation. Come and follow me. And the beautiful thing is that uh, following Jesus and living a life empowered by the Holy Spirit, but living a life in imitation of him, or sharing the life that he offers to us to um, enter into a relationship that he has with the Father, and the Father has with the Son. Yeah. That um, invitation has a sense of urgency to it. Yes, you see it in the, when Jesus meets the brothers, come and follow me. And they leave everything at the moment. And of course, I believe that the urgency, which is reflected in Matthew chapter 9, is not because Jesus is coming again soon or because you want to gain, get as many blessings as you, as you can. 
it, uh, Matthew 9 tells us that Jesus went through all their towns, all the towns and villages, teaching in the synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, healing every disease and sickness. Yes. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Right? The urgency of Jesus, the urgency of what we call discipleship, the urgency of listening to the teachings of Jesus, following him, yeah, is because Jesus has compassion on us. Because the cycle of sin or the pattern that's handed down from our parents to us, to our children, and on and on and on, right? The brokenness, the generational sin, whatever you want to call it, that afflicts the human family, going back to Adam. And each of us, we have our own, yeah, each family, each community has its own sin. Yeah, this is, this is what destroys human beings, destroys societies, destroys nations. And Jesus is saying, let's, let's call a stop to this. Let's break the pattern. Let's break the cycle. You don't have to be your parents. You don't have to um, go along with the culture or the political system of your day, right? This is not some kind of fate, right? This is not, uh, you know, genetics doesn't rule, or genetics, yeah. The DNA isn't king here. We all have a choice, right? And the choice that is set before us is that we can live or stay in death, or live in a land of death, or a culture of death, right? Or our own personal world that doesn't produce life but brings death. And we can continue or continue in darkness. Or like the many blind people that you read in Matthew's Gospel, we can be healed and we can begin to see. And we can, as we follow Jesus, we can begin to leave. And further, the invitation is, I will make you fishers of men. It's not just to us, but we're to extend that invitation to others. Yes, we are to be agents or partners with Jesus and his Father in extending, yes, the kingdom of heaven and bringing the rule, right, the, the rule and reign of Jesus into the, lives of, into the lives of others. And how does that happen? Look, in the Lord's Prayer, one of the ways it happens, every week we say, your kingdom come, your will be done. Where people are doing God's will, where people are doing the will of the Father, especially as it's expressed or taught, yes, by Jesus, Yes, there you find God's ruling and reigning. Yes, that's the good news of the kingdom. God is, wants to take control. This is the promise he made to Abraham, the promise he made to Israel, the prophets, the priests. Yes, it has now come to a certain completion. And we have a choice. The choice is to surrender or to, to our, our idols or whatever, our hesitations, our reservations, and to end us with a sense of urgency so that sin doesn't continue to eat us up and our, the culture doesn't continue 
to deceive us or are the, the politics of our day, whatever it may be, yes, don't continue to dis bring destruction. We have a choice to say no and to live and walk in a different way. And it does lead to, again, healing, holiness, maturity. Yes. That's the invitation. We say yes, and we extend that invitation to others. And so, I hope that um, all of us can not just say yes to Jesus, I want to, but also to, um, have, again, have that sense of urgency. Not to put off what, not to put off uh, what he's asking us to do or calling us to do, not to put it off for some time in the future, right? But to have a, uh, to have a revelation of his compassion for us, right? And his desire right? to bring us life, his desire to bring us light, right? His desire to be present in our lives. And again, it's his presence that uh, will bring that maturity and healing uh, and the blessing that all of us, all of us want. But again, it begins with repentance and our willingness to uh, make him king uh, and to do, uh, to do his will. So Father in heaven, we Lord uh, are victims of our own disobedience. We find ourselves so easily deceived. We deceive ourselves and we're deceived by others. And Lord, many of us who say, yes, yes, uh, we are your followers, still live in a place of darkness. We still live in a place of hurt and disappointment, uh, a place of gloom. And Lord, we pray that for each one of us, Lord, that uh, your light will come into our lives and shine brighter and brighter. Lord, bring us healing and again, bring us restoration. And Lord, empower us, Lord, to repent daily, to make it a lifestyle. And Lord, empower us to be mindful of uh, who you are and what you teach. And Lord, to allow us to put those things into practice in our lives. Lord, we pray that we will not be confused by the teachings of your son or that we will not uh, say to ourselves they're too difficult or too impossible, but instead uh, that uh, we will trust you to give us the power, Lord, of discernment and the power of the Holy Spirit uh, to be obedient. And thus, Lord, come to, a, come to the place of uh, maturity and healing. Indeed, Lord, so that we can glorify you that uh, your name will be lifted up in the midst of our communities and that uh, the world outside will indeed see Jesus living in us and through us. 
And Lord, we do ask these things again for the sake of your Son, Jesus the Messiah. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page, on SoundCloud, or by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. You can offer practical support by giving a donation at ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Thank you, and blessings from the City of the King.